0: it as I give to you. Again, we'll be reading from Matthew 26, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Kephas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for, to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. May take your seats. Thanks, Nolan. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you all. And a warm welcome to any of you who may be new joining us for the first time. Uh, so we've been taking, uh, it's been about a year now that we've been working through Matthew's gospel and we took a break right before Advent to do an Advent series and we did a topical series on formation in January, which is our theme for the year. So now we're getting back into Matthew, uh, but also since today marks the first day of Lent, the well Wednesday did, but this marks the first Sunday of Lent, right, the 40 days leading up to Easter, we're going to jump ahead in Matthew. We left off Matthew 16. We're going to jump ahead to the passion narrative of Matthew, look at the final week of Jesus' life up to Good Friday and Easter And then after Easter, we'll rewind back in time and go back into Matthew 16. And uh, just for what it's worth, as we head into Lent, uh, the word Lent actually comes from the word for spring. And so an appropriate way to think about Lent isn't this kind of like very gloomy approach, which which I think some people do, but it's more paving way for new life to break through death at Easter. So... For those of you who may be giving up something for Lent, I know a lot of you are doing that. I think that can be a really good thing to do. Uh, me and a few friends are doing a digital fast where I'm, uh, we're turning our phones into dumb phones. You know, so no browsers, streaming, anything like that. Just text, call, and then maps, obviously, because how else am I supposed to get to my local grocery store? And <laughs> you know, just giving up to so, something, it can be good, but it's, this is all for the purpose of not being down in the dirt, but it's to make space in your being for new life to, to sweep in an Easter and actually hit you I- in a new way. So just in case that, that might be news to you, that, that's supposed to be the purpose for Lent, and if you're doing any kind of fasting or giving up, that's, like, that's the intent. Um, God wants her joy in that way. And so uh, today, uh, Matthew's go- uh, Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, the Passionate of Jesus, it begins with this scene, with this unnamed woman pouring this expensive ointment or uh, perfume onto Jesus. And a big theme in this passage is love frees you. Love frees you. Uh, At the gym that Kelsey and I go to, there's a coach there, and we've kind of become his therapist as we've gotten to know him, and he's just one of those guys, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's a a strength coach, you know, so he's grouchy, like every day is doomsday, and recently noticed that suddenly he just seemed to be a lot more happy, laugh a lot more, like a lightness of step about him, and then we learned, oh, he's, in a, in a relationship with a lady friend, and this is really serious, and they may get married, and we're like, ah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense why you changed. And, uh, but just even to take a non-romantic example, <clears throat> just the other week I got together with a dear friend of mine who, he moved to a new area where he didn't really know many people, and he said it took him two years to find somebody that he could call a friend. Like a friend in the fullest sense of that word, you know, where you can just bear all of yourself to. And he's, just as he said it, it was a big exhale, Right? Because love, whether it's somebody you want to marry or a friend that you don't want to marry, right? Love, it, it frees you. You can face life in new ways. And that's what we see with this woman here. She is free because of love. And so I will look at it under these three headings. First, we'll see uh, what is she free from in this passage. Uh, n- n- number two, why is she free? And then number three, what what difference does this make in our lives? Okay, so what, what's she free from? Why is she free? And then what practical difference does this make in our lives as we learn from her and see Jesus? All right, so verse number one, what is she free from? So if you, if you notice, Matthew uses a literary device here called a sandwich narrative, where it's, you see on the book ends, it's one story. So verses one through five are leaders plotting to kill Jesus. And then if you remove the middle, the, the story with the woman, six through 13, and pick up in verse 14 where Judas... B- betrays you. It just reads as one story, right? So you have bookends that form one story, and then in the middle, they insert another story, which you're, f- which you're supposed to focus on, so it creates a sandwich. And just like in a sandwich, the it's not the, the bread, or for some of you, the, the lettuce, right? That that's the most important part. In a sandwich, whatever's on the outside, it, it's to emphasize what's in the middle. And so the same thing here with this literary device. So the point is the middle here with this woman, and the bookends serve... Uh, means of contrast for us to highlight things that are happening here. And so as we look at this, let's see, okay, what is this woman free from? And so first, let's look at the first bookend. And you see in verses three through five, you have this cat Caiaphas, who's the high priest. He is the leader of the Sanhedrin, which was the uh, it's the equivalent to, I guess, Congress today, more or less. It was the seat of political power for Israel, but also it had a religious tie as well. And to be in the position of high priest, this was a precarious position, because uh, Israel was under Roman rule. And so what this meant is if you're the high priest and you cozy up too much to the populace and their hatred of Rome and rebellion ensues, it, you know, for, for the high priest. On the other hand, if you get too friendly with Rome, then the populace w- will hate that, right? And they'll probably riot. And again, it's for for Caiaphas. And what we can tell here is Caiaphas, he is he is savvy. He is really good at this dance because the average— Uh, tenure if you will of a high priest in this day was one or two years and Caiaphas made it 18 years so he's he's really good at this game and here we see him uh, you know calling the elite into his palace maneuvering chess pieces as usual because Jesus is creating a problem for him Jesus is claiming to be the rightful king of the world which by you know by extension he's the king over Rome so problem for Rome therefore problem for Caiaphas Right? So he's, he's they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we kill him in a way that also doesn't create an uproar among the people? And then so what you see here is amid all of this political intrigue and this grasping for control, cut to the middle scene, this woman an- anointing Jesus. And it's just her loving Jesus. She's not caught up in these political games or worrying about who's in power You know, sometimes you hear political candidates or their proponents talk about an election as if, like, the fate of humanity is in the balance, and this woman is free from that. And it's not because she's one of the privileged for whom, like, it doesn't really matter who's in power because, you know, she's already got her economic and social status on lockdown. No, it's not that. It's just she's found something that's more important to her than her social status and her economic situation. And so you could say here she's, first, she's free from political obsession, she's not worried about all that. Number two, she's free from money obsession. So as you look at the actual scene, notice Matthew highlights the, the flask is a very expensive ointment in verse 7. So what we can tell here from context is this was probably a family heirloom passed down through generations like a really a nice piece of art. Uh, it, this ointment or nard was likely acquired. It had to be acquired from India, so really far away. And it was worth about a year's salary, not a year's savings, a year's salary. So, okay, so imagine how long it would take a lot of you to save that up, e- even more so in this culture, even more since she's a woman in this culture. And or even, you know, in, in this area, right, like housing prices are just absurd. And imagine, like, think about the amount of time and intentionality it takes to save up to buy a home in, in this area and then just giving it away. And that's what this woman does here for Jesus. She has all the savings. She's probably not wealthy. This is probably her only source of wealth. It, it is her wealth. And she just gives all of it to Jesus because money doesn't have a hold on her. Okay, so she's able to give it. So you could say she's not obsessed with money. Number three, what also is she free from? And you could say she's free from relational calculation. I tried to find a third obsession. It just wasn't going to work. So uh, she's free from relational calculation. You see this, uh, I mean, all throughout, but especially here highlighted with the, the the other part, the other piece of bread on the sandwich in verse 14 with Judas. So you have Judas who ensures that this plan hatched by the elite can be executed without a hitch. And we don't know for sure why Judas betrayed Jesus, which is really, and we could do a whole like 10 minute aside on just how heartbreaking this is, by the way, since he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was in his inner circle. But we don't really know why he did it. Okay, we can guess. Um, I think a decent guess is he may have been trying to force Jesus' hand by, you know, just to get Jesus to cut out all this crucifixion talk and finally become the general king that he and Israel were hoping for. We don't really know why uh, Judas betrayed him, though, but what we do know is that it was more valuable for Judas to have Jesus as a dead enemy than as a living friend. And so he sold him for 30 pieces of silver, which was the cost of the lowest form of slave in this culture. And in Judas, we see this tendency we have to view the world in instrumental terms, right? So will my investment... Be less than my gain. Okay, will my will the cost benefit be be practical for me? And we do this not just with money or investments. We do this with people, or you know, if you've ever been to a say, if you've ever been to an event, uh, probably for your career, some kind of dinner, or party, or just after work social. And there's that person, maybe you're that person, but there's that person who's like, you know, they can't stand to be on the outside. They always have to be bursting into circles. Maybe they burst into your circle because everything there is about getting the right connections and advancing forward. And so if they come to you and they're talking, you know, it's not really about you. It's just about can you maybe help them somehow advance their their agenda and you know how that feels. And even if you really don't like that kind of person, I think we all do the same thing. We're just not as obvious about it. Right? So, like, uh, I'm just not going to go to community group tonight because, like, will it really matter? Will it really be worth it? Okay, should I bother meeting with this person, talking to, with this person? Is it going to be worth it to me? Okay, again, we're viewing people through instrumental terms. Will the cost-benefit be practical? Will it be in my favor? And this woman here, she, she's free of that. Okay, here, she, she's not thinking about Jesus. What are you going to do for me? how pragmatic is it for me to just give you all of my wealth in one moment and not get anything in return? Okay, she's free of relational calculation because she just wants Jesus. So she's, there's a, there's a self-forgetfulness here. There's a freedom about her. Okay, so those are, those are a few things we see that she's free of. So now let's ask, we already gave it away in the intro, but why why is she free? And we see the same idea flushed out a few different ways, and the first is just—I mean—it's simply because she she loves she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. The the sheer cost of this. So, uh, Warren Buffett, you know, world famous investor. Every year he holds a charity event to where you can bid to have lunch with him. And just recently, I saw—I think it was in 2022—somebody bid nineteen million dollars just to have lunch with. Warren Buffett. And I was thinking, like, what would I pay to have lunch with one of my heroes, uh, Viggo Mortensen, obviously? Uh, but, you know, like, I'd probably pay maybe, maybe 200 max. And just last night, I was asking Kelsey, I was like, would you be okay if I paid 200 bucks to have a lunch with my hero? And she's like, mm, probably not. <laughs> you know, but, it, but it's like, the, the point is, right, when, when somebody is that worthy to you, money is of no issue. It doesn't matter how much it's going to cost. And Jesus is that worthy to her. And this whole thing with the Right, pointing out the it's an alabaster flask. Mark's, Mark also points out this detail. And that's because an alabaster flask, the way it was designed is in order to access what was inside, you had to break it. So this wasn't just like a, you know, put on a little spritz before you go out for the evening. If you're going to use it, you're going to use all of it. So she had to break it and pour it out on Jesus. So this is her way of saying, Jesus, I don't just want to give you a large part of my wealth, but as I break and give, I want to give you all of me. Because I just, I want all of you. She loves Jesus. And this is what frees her. But second, it's not just because she loves Jesus, but Jesus loves her. And notice how he defends and commends her. So there's this whole thing here in the middle where the disciples get ticked, and they say in verse 8, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. So here are the disciples. They're, you know, maybe this is, you know, you can see virtue signalings as old as 2,000 years. But, like, you, you can sympathize with them as well because they know all the scriptures talk about the importance of the poor, and they're probably thinking, Jesus, remember that crowd of 15,000 that we were just having a hard time feeding her? Like, she could have fed that entire crowd with this with this wealth. And when Jesus says, The poor will always be with you, but you won't always have me. At first, this looks really bad for Jesus, Uh, but as usual with Jesus, there's something much deeper going on. So he's actually, he's quoting Deuteronomy 15 here, the part about you'll you'll always have the poor with you. And in Deuteronomy 15, it's God giving the Israelites a law, which is saying, because there will always be poverty, because there will always be poor among you and around you, you, as people saved by grace, you are to be the kind of people who are always caring about the poor. And so here, Jesus is like, well, first, guys, you've been with me for three years. My whole ministry has been to the poor. You know I care about the poor. But also, when he compares himself to the poor, it's not a comparison of contrast, right? The poor don't matter, I do. It's a greater than comparison, right? So the poor really matter. But if I'm more valuable than the poor, then how valuable must I be? See, is what Jesus is saying here. But there's another angle to it, too. And here's where you even see more his love for her. See See how he says... In verse 10, she's done a beautiful thing to me. In other words, he's saying like when to care about what's practical, when you have something or someone of beauty in front of you is to miss the point. It's like it's akin to if you go on an anniversary dinner with your spouse or you go to the opera. And while you're sitting there across the table from your spouse you're at the opera, you say out loud, you know, I think I probably should have just saved this money and instead bought my toiletries for the year and gotten an oil change for my car. It's like, to, 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 yes, that would be practical. But to say that, it, it's to miss the point of time with your spouse. It's to miss the point of, of the opera, right? Because when, when you find something beautiful, there, there's an intrinsic value to just enjoying it for what it is. It doesn't really matter what's practical. And so that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, this woman, she finds me beautiful, And in turn, I find her act beautiful, and I find her beautiful. And so, okay, guys, if you're going to attack her, I'm with her on this. So to attack her is to attack me. And so here we see one of the many instances in the Gospels where God, who is Jesus, where God in a male-dominated culture is giving so much honor to women. He's like, you guys have missed it. But here, I I love her, and she's beautiful to me. And so he loves her, and this gives her this kind of freedom. But she's also free, okay, not just because he loves her, but because he loves her more than she knows. See this comment in verse 12, and pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So he's connecting her act to his upcoming death. And what he's saying is, saying, okay, you know, this woman who the rest of you disdain, she broke and gave what was most valuable to her uh, just to get me, um, not because of anything useful I could do for her, not because of utility. She just wanted me because she finds me beautiful. And then it's his way of looking at that woman just saying, sweet daughter, I too, when I go to the cross, I'm going to break and give what is most valuable to me my, my very life more valuable than all the treasures in the earth and give up my relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit not because you're useful to me, not because of your utility, but just because I find you beautiful and I love you and as the Son of God I'm going to raise to new life and as you follow me you'll be raised to a new kind of life as well And I'm going to do this also for these self-righteous disciples. And in turn, I'm doing it for you and me here today. And so, I mean, this this woman, she she probably even kind of gets a sense of this. But, I mean, boy, is she going to know in a little while just how much Jesus loves her. And this frees her. And it should free you and me. And so as we think about how does this, what kind of difference does this make in our lives, First, number one, I think the, I think the clearest teaching in this passage is, it's just, it's very simple. It's, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Because for, for this woman, uh, Jesus, he's not just a proposition to believe. He's not just something true or factual, but she experiences him as real as any love relationship, you know, that, that you and I do today. She finds him beautiful, not just useful, and that's conversion, when you find Jesus beautiful. And so for, do you love him? And this is not for those of you sitting here, you're thinking like, thanks, pastor. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to love him. I, I want to love him. He just feels really distant to me right now. As an encouragement to you, if you even want to want to love him, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit working in you. This question is more for those of you who, you care a lot about doctrinal pre- precision, Right, like always, getting the right facts about God in the Scriptures, which matter, by the way. Okay, or you, you care a lot about doing the right things for God, which matter. But the point of all of that is always just: Do you love Jesus? Is, is there a a warmth toward Him, an affection toward Him? Because he doesn't. He's not looking at you like, okay, how much are you banging me? What kind of utility are you giving? He just loves you. And so that, that's the first thing is just just: Do you love Jesus? And to take, you know, whatever steps you can toward, whether it's through prayer, walk, walking with other people, just to foster that kind of real relational love. Okay, so do you love Jesus? And then, and that's most important because we're going to see a lot of benefits of loving Jesus, but they're more like nice side effects of loving Jesus. They're not the point. But as you love Jesus and you're loved by him, you, you get the same kind of freedom that this woman has. So you're free from political obsession. Uh, it's an election year. And I, I recently attended this lunch in D.C. where the facilitator was helping church leaders just shepherd their church through, uh, you know, just through the intersection of, of faith and politics. And uh, they shared this story about, so soon this pastor, and in a sermon, he, uh, he quoted, you know, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and walking another mile with a person and, and loving your enemy and praying for them. And someone comes up to, to them after the sermon, and they're like, why are you quoting this woke progressive propaganda in, in the from the pulpit? And the pastor was like, I was quoting Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> and the person responds, oh, well, that's just not practical in times of crisis. And the point is, it's like, what do you think Jesus was living in, Pleasantville? You know, like, I mean, he wasn't more of a time of crisis than we are. And the point of why i'm sharing this is okay so as a christian i don't think cynicism or being checked out toward politics is the answer because politics involves how we treat humans We were made in god's image so politics matters however as you consider the what of politics okay so what policy are you going to support what person do you want to vote for which matters i think a way you know that you've become more obsessed with politics than been captured by the love for jesus is as you care about the what, you forego the how of Jesus, i.e. it doesn't matter how practical something is, if it causes you to hate your enemy, right, or sacrifice any of the fruit of the spirit, love, gentleness, kindness, goodness, or generally just treat the other side with contempt, right, that's driven through partisan politics, it's just probably a sign that you're more obsessed with politics than have been captured by love for Jesus. Just in love, I, I want to encourage you guys as you care about the very important what, to always remember the how of Jesus. Okay, is is it clear to those you're talking about or talking to that that you do will their good, and you do love and pray for your enemies, okay? As as Jesus first loved you, okay, as once you were his enemy, so it it frees us from political obsession. Number two, it frees us from money obsession. You know, just, it, it was just natural for this woman to give of her tangible resources to Jesus. And the Bible's never so reductionist as to say, like, how much you tithe or how much you give is the barometer of how much you love Jesus. But uh, the Bible also isn't so spiritual or abstract to say it doesn't matter if you give or not. Okay? or it doesn't matter how much you give. And so if I can just encourage you to... Just look at this woman here, and just ask yourself: Is what I'm tithing to my local church, okay, whether it's here or you, you're part of another local church and you're visiting, and how much I give to ministry, does it reflect the kind of generous, sacrificial love that was just so natural to this woman? And, and God would invite you into taking a step there, okay, into this, into this kind of freedom that we see that this woman have. Okay, and number three, she's she's free from relational calculation, right? So you should ask yourself, you know, like, where do I view, am I going to go to a, an event or not? Am I going to go see this person or not in this area? So always like, oh, is the traffic going to be worth, like, even dealing with this person for those, you know, 45 minutes to an hour? Just Do you view it mainly through lens of utility or just it's a chance to be with a person who's made in God's image and you're not really that concerned with what you get out of it in return? Uh, maybe an application, it can just be some, something as simple as if you come, like, right on time or late to church, Could it be because you find that small talk portion right before service just profoundly annoying and pointless? And I say this as somebody, like, that was me for years, and that's still my default tendency. You know, that ghastly meet-and-greet that John instituted here in the middle of service. Like, I used to purposely show up after that, uh, you know, when I was, um, you know, college and and, and right after. But, again, just what is that, right? It's more thinking through the lens of utility. Is it really going to be worth it? Like, We need the small talk, guys, to to eventually get to the big stuff with, with people, and you never know how much of a difference just acknowledging somebody with your gaze, even for five seconds, can make a difference there. And I was thinking about this as I've been reading this book by David Brooks called How to Know a Person. I think the subtitle is The Art of Seeing Others Deeply. It's a really good book. Okay, How to Know a Person, and he's talking about when You meet a person, there's this series of unconscious questions just going on in the back of their mind as soon as you meet them. Questions like, am I a priority to you? Am I a person to you? Will you respect me? And the answer to those questions are communicated within a few seconds of you just looking at them before you say anything. They can tell with your gaze, am I a person to you? Am I a priority to you? And he talks about this friend Jimmy has, and he shares this story about when, he's, uh, when David Brooks is with people and they're these very rigid, severe people, he just can't get them to crack a smile. And then his friend Jimmy, he'll see them come in and talk with him and suddenly the severe person turns into like a nine-year-old child and, in terms of their excitement. And he says, because this is how my friend Jimmy, Jimmy treats people. And he says this, Jimmy is a pastor. When Jimmy sees a person, he's seeing a creature who is made in the image of God. When Jimmy sees a person, he's also seeing a creature endowed with an immortal soul a soul of infinite value and dignity. When Jimmy greets a person, he comes in with the belief this person is so important, Jesus is willing to die for their sake. And for you, I don't know if that person for you right now needs to be your child or your spouse or somebody you just have a hard time connecting with in your workplace or the church. But when we're freed by Jesus, We're freed from political obsession and money, but also this kind of relational calculation that just goes goes away and we can actually love other people as Jesus first loved us. Let's pray.